Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Bridges. I'm curious, how many of you have been to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco? Yes, a lot of you. Yes. Well, it is a sight to behold. I mean, it's gorgeous. If you've been there in the last several years, you've probably had quite the Instagram moment there. You just have to document it. It's amazing. I read this week that 10, over 10 million people visit the Golden Gate Bridge each year. That's a lot. And yet what we may not know is that this bridge many, many years ago, was actually deemed impossible to build. See, because of the tides going in that area, because of the fog and the wind, and then the location near the San Andreas Fault, that bridge was deemed impossible. No one knew how they could ever build a bridge there. But there was a man named Joseph Strauss that wanted to take on the challenge. And so he came with a master plan and the blueprints of how this could be accomplished. This was in the 1930s. But one interesting thing that he had as a part of his master plan was a safety plan. So he had the men prepared to wear hard hats and goggles and cream on their faces to protect them from the wind. He even had special diets laid out for them so they wouldn't get dizzy while they were working in the, in the heights on the bridge. But then probably the most important piece of this plan was he had a safety net installed underneath the bridge. And he spent $130,000 on that which in the 30s, that is a lot of, that was a lot of money. But that particular net saved the lives of 19 men that fell and were caught by the net. And that bridge was able to be built because of the master plan, because of the safety and security and wisdom of the plan. And so when we're thinking about hopping into this new series on bridges and thinking about our relationships, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you walked in today feeling like the chasms in your life, the relationships in your life are just too challenging that, that bridges really can't be built, that, that some of your relationships seem downright impossible, right? But I believe that God always makes the impossible possible, right? And that our relationships are included in that. But as we go into this series, we need to come in with a, with a master plan that's bigger than us. And we need to come in with wisdom and approach this from a place that is going to be wise and where we'll have some, a safety net, if you will, that will keep us safe and secure and protected as we go through this. And that is the word of God. And so for all of these five weeks of this series, we're going to be diving into Romans chapter 12. Yes, for all five weeks, we'll be in one chapter. And this chapter is just rich with relational wisdom. It's going to serve as our guide and a safety net as we learn to be bridge builders in a culture that says we should just burn our bridges instead. 
So we're going to be diving into Romans chapter 12, but I want to give you a little bit of information, first of all, on what is going on in the book of Romans so we understand the context of what we'll be reading. So the book of Romans was written in the 50s AD. So this is just like 15 to 20 years after Jesus has died on the cross and resurrected. He's now ascended into heaven and called all of these followers of his to to start sharing the good news and and learning to to follow him in this new day and age. So, you know, we find all these Jesus followers who are just trying to figure out how to do this thing. And so they're gathering up in clusters called churches and trying to learn to live on mission and be in community, loving God and loving each other. And so it's into this particular culture, this church in Rome, that Paul is writing this message. Paul was a missionary. He started many early churches, and he encouraged early churches as well. So he's writing to encourage the church in Rome. But the church in Rome has some really interesting dynamics that we need to understand. There was a lot of relational tension within that church. The church was made up of Jewish and Gentile people that all of a sudden were like smashed together in this thing called salvation that Jesus said that the good news was for everyone. And so they were trying to figure out how to live together with all of these different perspectives and backgrounds and ideas. Does that sound familiar? Anyone? Yeah? Yeah. Then also, outside of the walls of the church, there were some interesting tensions too because of the cultural norms of the day. Rome was a very secular culture, worldly culture. There was a lot of history of warfare, corrupt rulers, false gods. And then there was a lot of uh, social class stratification that was happening and a lot of division. So there was the poorest of poor who were like barely getting by, who were living, you know, day to day, trying to make things work. And oftentimes were slaves in the households of the rich. Then on the opposite side of the spectrum, are the richest of rich. They have everything they need. They're living these lavish lifestyles. They're thinking about what food they want to have and making sure it's the richest affair. They want to think about their their clothing and their relationships romantically and where they stand in social classes. And so there's this great juxtaposition between the richest of rich and poorest of poor. And it's in this context, then, that Paul writes this letter to Rome and the church there. And the first many, many parts, many chapters of this book are all about the belief system of the Christian church. He wants them to realize that they can stand in unity because they're all in need of salvation. They're all in need of the grace and forgiveness of God. And he wants to make that loud and clear. But then he turns the page, and this is where we're headed in Romans chapter 12. He turns the page to say, now that you understand all of this love of God, then we're going to talk about how that changes the way that you live. And so it's into this culture and in that situation that we read our scripture for this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Will you stand on your feet with me? Let's read this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then 
you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You may be seated. So the church in Rome, they want to live into God's will. They want to live into God's purposes for them. And yet, they are living in the tension with culture. And I think we live in that same tension too, right? I mean, when I think about our culture, I think about these words. I think about hustle and bustle and hurry. I think about social media and technology. I think about anxiety, comparison, keeping up with the Joneses, climbing the corporate ladder, iPhones, earbuds, isolation. I mean, we live in this culture, especially with technology, that is just changing radically the way that we live on a daily basis. And I found some stats recently that literally knocked my socks off that I have to share with you this morning. Okay, get this. The average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. That's a lot. Now get this. If we zoom in, then just on the millennial generation, that number doubles. Oh, my Lanta. That's crazy town. Okay, now there's more. Per year, the average American spends hundred and or excuse me, seven hundred and five hours on social media a year. Okay? Now this gets worse. Ready? Per year, the average American spends two thousand seven hundred and thirty-five and a half hours watching TV. That's kind of gross. Don't you think? That's crazy. And yet, all of these patterns of the world around us, you know, we are getting swept up into issues with discontentment and comparison. And like I said, anxiety, depression. And the life that we want is not the life we're living, just like the girl we saw in the video earlier. But we're swept up into the patterns of this world and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. I read this book recently, and some of us on the pastoral staff team read it as well. And uh, Mike just finished it this week too, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I highly recommend this book. It's by John Mark Comer. And there's a quote in here that goes along with what we're studying today that has just been hitting me hard the last several weeks. And he says this, what you give your attention to is the person that you become. What you give your attention to is the person that you become. And so as I read this and I was reading Romans 12, I started thinking, okay, well then what are the things that I am paying attention to? So I started sifting through it, but finally this week I decided I'm going to just sit down and write this out. So get ready. Here goes some vulnerability. <laughs> so I'm going, what am I paying attention to? So as I was doing this assessment of myself, I'm thinking, okay, I spend a lot of time paying attention to stress. 
and the things that are overwhelming to me in my life, then I, then I give them a lot of time and attention in my thought life and in my mind. I probably blow things up because I'm just giving too much attention to stress. Fear, same kind of thing. I can get stuck in loops of, of fearful thinking and irrational thinking and fear because I'm just giving it a lot of time and attention. The tyranny of the urgent, some of you probably understand what this is like, where you have priorities, but then it's the things that are right here up close, the things that are most pressing that actually end up taking up your time and attention. So as I'm writing all these things out, then I'm like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm paying attention to God, of course. But I also found it interesting that he came forth on the list. I'm not super proud of that. But as I was thinking about it, I think sometimes these things dominate my thinking and my life, what I'm paying attention to. So then I'm going, okay, well, I'm spending time with my family. I'm paying attention to my family. But once again, I want to make sure that these are in the right priority, in the right order. And I think, oh, heavens, I'm paying attention to my phone too much. I mean, I get those weekly reports like many of you do on your iPhone that say how much time you've been spending with your screen. I'm like, oh, please, I don't even want to read that. And you know when they always pop up for me? Sunday mornings, 9.15. <laughs> right before church, I'm like, oh, so convicted. Health. I spend a lot of time thinking about my health. I'm pregnant. And so like every little symptom that pops up, I'm like Googling it. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. I have, it perpetuates the stress and the fear because then it's like, oh, this one little thing could blow up into this big thing. And it causes stress and worry for me. So literally over Christmas break, my mom had me stand in front of my entire family and promise that I would no longer Google my symptoms. I was like, Girl Scout honor, okay, I'll do it. So I'm working on that. And then shopping. Oh, you guys, those emails that we get every day that are like, 80% off a post-Christmas sale, 40% off the clearance. I get sucked in the black hole of trying to find a deal. It's bad. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this list. I'm going, oh, goodness, like, what am I paying attention to and how is this shaping who I'm becoming? So I'm processing this, but then I, I decide to take it a step further. And I ask my husband, Mike, I said, okay, here's this quote. This is what I've been thinking. I want to ask you, what am I paying attention to? He's like, oh, okay, so here we go. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but he did say, okay, you pay attention to shopping. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, you pay attention to tasks in front of you. And uh, you pay attention to your health a lot. He knows my Googling issues. <laughs> and then he said, and you overanalyze. I'm like, okay, okay, thank you so much for your honesty. Let's move on. This is very uncomfortable for me. And what are the good things? What are the good things? Please just give me some positives. So, you know, he gave me some positive things that, that I pay attention to. But, you know, I, I realized, okay, no, I need to sit in that uncomfort. I need to sit in that vulnerability. So I said, let's talk a little bit more about this. Because the things that I'm paying attention to impact you. The things that I pay attention to impact the people around me. So I want to learn more. And so especially in the area over, of overanalyzing, I said, can you tell me more about that? And he said, yeah, you can become so laser beam focused on what you're working on, whether it's your schoolwork or a task 
or even like planning an upcoming vacation, that you become so focused that you almost have like blinders on to everything else around you. I'm going, oh my goodness, yeah, I can get stuck in that. I had a boss like seven, eight years ago that told me I have analysis paralysis where I get stuck in analyzing. And so processing that with Mike helped me realize that's still an issue for me, but it's also causing hardship for those around me, my family, friends, and others. And so as I was reflecting on all of this in light of Romans chapter 12, then I had to ask myself the question, am I really offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Am I really offering myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Am I all in? And I wonder for you, what are you paying attention to? What are the things that would be on your list? And are you all in? Are you offering yourselves as a living sacrifice? See, Paul, he's saying and inviting us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we can read that. Sounds nice. <laughs> but how? How do, we, how do we do that? How are we transformed by the renewing of our minds? I think Paul gives us this incredible answer to that question in verse one. We read it earlier. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, he's saying, if we have lost sight of the mercy and the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the kindness of Jesus, then we aren't going to be sacrificing ourselves, giving ourselves to him. And this whole idea of sacrifice, I mean, really, we don't talk in those terms necessarily in this day and age very much. It might sound kind of weird or creepy talking about sacrifice. But if we think about it in, in ways of we give ourselves to things and people. And we give ourselves to things and people that we think are worth it. So for instance, we sacrifice ourselves or, or we give ourselves at Disneyland when we stand in line for two hours to go on the new Star Wars ride. We are giving, sacrificing two hours because we think it's worth it. You know, when we go to college, we sacrifice a large chunk of change for that education because we think it's worth it. We also do this when we, when we move, right? We give up jobs, comfort, friendships. If you move from California, you give up the beach to move to Idaho because you think it's worth it. And then we even do this with destructive patterns and behaviors in our lives where we give up or sacrifice our purity, our health, our bodies, future plans, because we think the temporary satisfaction is worth it. We do 
sacrifice and offer ourselves. So then I just have to ask myself, and I think we have to ask all of ourselves, am I living in a way that says, Jesus, you're worth it? Am I living in a way that says, Jesus, you're worth it? And if not, then that means I've lost sight of God's mercy. Because when we really understand that Jesus was all in for us, that his sacrifice on the cross, he held nothing back. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us so that we could live in freedom and joy and peace, so that we could be forgiven, so we could have a purpose for our future. If we realize the depth of that love and that mercy and that kindness and compassion, oh my goodness, if that envelops us, then we are moved to offer ourselves right back to him. Not out of obligation, not out of doing something to check the box off, not just giving him part of us and holding some back, but when we are overwhelmed with that love, then we are compelled to give ourselves fully and solely to him. And that offering, that, that offering is a continual offering. In the original language in Greek, that word for offer is in the aorist tense. It's this verb that means it's a decision that has lasting impact every day. So it's an offering saying, God, here's all of me today. I'm all in today, and tomorrow I will do the same. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. It's not a, okay, I'm going to do this this one-time thing, and then I'm going to pull it back in this season, and then I'll give it to you again. No, it's a saying, it's a continual offering. I want to change. I want to be transformed. I want to walk in your ways because you are worthy of it all. And your plans for me are better than my plans for myself. Your ways are higher than my ways. So I'm going to be all in. And that's what it takes for that transformation to happen is for us to have the view of God's mercy and then for us to be all in. And that's when transformation happens. Once again, in the original language, I love to sift through this and pick this apart. In the original language in Greek, that word for transformed that Paul uses is metamorphose. What what does that word look like to us today? Yeah, metamorphosis. And so it's painting this picture of a change that's not just on the surface, but it's a change to the core. It's a change of essence. And so as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about science. And I want to show you a clip that has a pretty fun science experiment that helps paint this picture for us this morning. So this is hydrogen peroxide, but the stuff you have in your bathroom is like 3%. So if you put on a cut, what happens? Uh, it's fizzes there's up. A bubble. Yeah, yep. there's a lot of oxygen in there. Uh-huh. So this is 35% hydrogen peroxide. So we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit more bubbling going on. Okay. So uh, first of all, grab grab some soap. So you okay. want to pour some soap in here. This is just soap. This is just regular soap and the hydrogen soap. peroxide. Yeah, soap and hydrogen peroxide so far. Okay. And then we're gonna add some food color. It's Cinco de Mayo. Hey, it is Cinco, de, Cinco de, Mayo. de Mayo. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. So we'll add red and green. So those are the colors of the Mexican flag. So here we go. All right, go. Now this is a demonstration green. that we call pasta de diente para los elefantes, Who which is French. <laughs> Pardon my French. It's not French. No, it's Spanish. All okay. Right. So it means elephant toothpaste. <laughs> okay. So the next thing we're gonna do, we're gonna release all of this oxygen by adding a catalyst. And that's what we have here. This is potassium iodide. 
Test Are you ready? Iodide. Let's All do right. it, buddy. Three, two, one. Pour it in there. And step back, step back, step back. Jimmy's enthusiasm. Doesn't he just make you smile? So fun. I love that. Okay, so here's kind of a funny little thing. I found this on the internet this week, and I was like convinced we were going to do this in service. I was like, yes, we're going to make this experiment happen. But, you know, we tried it multiple times at home with just the regular hydrogen peroxide. It was lame. (laughs) So I figured we'd just show you the video of that. But I think that paints the picture for us of this idea of this transformation or, or like metamorphose, right? That it's not just a, a reaction that happens, it's just a change on the surface, but it's a change of essence. And it's a chemical change, basically. And so I had to remind myself of the definition of chemical change. It's been a while since I've taken science, but I found this incredible definition that I'll read to you that I think really paints the picture for us. It says this, a chemical reaction is the combination of two or more reactants to form an entirely new product. Bonds are broken and new bonds are created. Isn't that good? Bonds are broken and new bonds are created. And I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to say to us. That, yeah, the bonds of the world need to be broken and new bonds need to be created just like in that experiment. We see this recipe then for transformation that's God's grace, his goodness, his power, his forgiveness, his strength, plus our availability, our offering our lives continually as sacrifices, then that equals transformation. And so, you know, in that experiment, we just watched the potassium iodide that, that catalyst is like God's grace. Without it, the change would not have happened, right? I mean, you could try all sorts of things with the two, the two ingredients, the, the hydrogen peroxide and the soap. You could swirl it around. You could do all these things, but it's not going to change until the catalyst hits it. And so we need God's grace, his power, his strength to bring about change. We cannot bring about change on our own. That is impossible. We cannot be transformed in our own strength. But then the other side of it is we need to be available. We need to bring our whole selves to the equation. And that's our willingness. God isn't forcing us to come and bring our whole selves. He's inviting us. But just like in that experiment, if it was just the dish soap without the hydrogen peroxide, it wouldn't have changed the transformation wouldn't have happened. And so God is inviting us to bring our whole selves to be all in and offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This means not holding anything back. Sometimes we can hold things back because we want to have control or it's just, it feels so much safer to be able to hang on to this particular area of my life. Or maybe it's even because of shame. I mean, there's probably many of us that have struggled with shame, and so we just want to hang on to something, an area of our lives, because we really, we we don't even know if God wants to deal with it. We're embarrassed, so we're like, we're just going to tuck this away and hide this back. But God is inviting us to be all in. He's not calling for us to be perfect, but he's inviting us to bring our whole selves and just give ourselves to him because it's then 
with his power that we can be transformed. But he's inviting us to be all in. And it's for our good, you know? Like really, his invitation to be all in is not to rob us of our fun or take away our control, but he wants the best for us. He really does. He wants us to be able to live into his purposes and his will. He doesn't want us to be enslaved to the world. It's for our good. It's in his kindness that he extends that invitation. And it makes me think of the story in Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22, where Jesus meets a rich young ruler This guy comes to Jesus, and he has it all. I mean, according to the world standards, this guy has everything, everything taken care of. Everything that he'd need or even want. He lives a lavish lifestyle. You can maybe picture him like a prominent guy like Prince William or Justin Bieber, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) And so picture that, right? So this guy's coming up to Jesus, and he asks this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to live into the kingdom? Then he goes on to say, I have kept all of the commandments since I was young. I have kept all of the religious, I've checked all of the religious boxes. So actually maybe the Justin Bieber thing is not really very fitting, right? <laughs> but, but you can picture this guy. He, he, in the world's eyes, he has it all. And then he has felt like he's kept the religious standards But for some reason, he knows that something is still missing, and he's feeling concerned about his future. And so he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has a really interesting response. He looks at him straight in the eyes, and he says, I want you to go and sell all of your stuff. And you know what? The scripture says that the man's face fell and he walked away sad. And I've always found that really interesting because Jesus let him go. I mean, Jesus didn't run after him and go, okay, uh, never mind. <laughs> you know, if you're not willing, let's, let's talk about half. What, is, what does half look like here? Oh, that doesn't work for you? Mm, okay, a, a, fourth, a fourth will work. That'll be fine. No. Jesus isn't into this bartering game. He isn't trying to figure out what works for you, then that'll work for me. He's, he was inviting this guy to lay down all of his money, not because Jesus wanted his money, no. Jesus knew that the money was an issue in this young man's life because it was robbing him of living fully into God's purpose. It was, it had kept him enslaved. And so Because God wanted what was best for him, he invited him to lay down the very thing that he'd been hanging on to. The very thing that he had been paying attention to. He was inviting the young man to loosen his grip on his money because his money had a grip on him. And that's our invitation today. Our invitation is to loosen the grip on the things that actually are gripping us. To loosen your grip on what is actually gripping you. I imagine that Jesus knew that that young man's love of money 
was not only wreaking havoc in his own life, but it was wreaking havoc in the lives of those around him. And that's the same for us. The things that we pay attention to are shaping who we become, which impacts our relationships. And so all of this, this may have felt like a really strange way to kick off a relationship series. But really, if we don't have a healthy relationship with God first, then we can't have healthy relationships. If we are not allowing for God to transform us, then how is he going to transform our relationships? And so as we go through this passage, this chapter in Romans for the next four weeks... This, these first two verses are so foundational because if we can respond to God's invitation here, then the rest of the series will have incredible ripple effects, I believe. But this is foundational. And so I have to ask you today, what are you gripping onto that actually has a grip on you? What are you paying attention to that is forming who you are becoming? What would be on your list? And honestly, that's my challenge for you this week is to sit down, get vulnerable before God and say, okay, I honestly need to be aware of the things that I'm paying attention to and the things that are forming and shaping me and write it down. Because when we actually have awareness of an issue in our lives, then that's when we can start to do something about it. And more importantly, when God can start to do something about it. So take the time this week and write down your list. But then even more than that, go to a friend or a family member, someone that's close to you, and say, okay, what am I paying attention to? What are the things that are consuming me and my time and my attention and my mind? And yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) It may make you feel a little bit uneasy. But it's so important. Because we all have blind spots that we're unaware of. But I encourage you just to ask those questions and then just listen. And be teachable. And then be willing to take action. What does it look like for you to take action once you have gone through these reflective exercises? You know, for some of you, the action step may be, I'm going to choose to leave work at work. And I'm not going to let my work infiltrate my home life and my family life. I'm going to set boundaries in healthy ways. You know, maybe others of you, those boundaries look like turning off your cell phones as a family, putting them in a drawer, and having dinner together without the interruptions of buzzes and beeps and texts and calls. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a shopping fast. Maybe unsubscribing from those emails that flood your inbox every day. You know, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim shared with us that the overwhelming majority of people they look at their phones first thing in the morning and, and pick it up as soon as they wake up. And I know that that's been my, my deal because that's my alarm. But maybe we all need to be going and buying old school alarm clocks or digging ours out of storage and getting in the word before we actually open up our phones. 
Or lastly, maybe it's a social media detox. And for me, that was, that was what God was prompting me to do to respond. One of, the, one of the steps. So I am off of Instagram for all of January. Yeah. Thanks, Chuck. And I honestly, I don't know what y'all did for New Year's Eve. And I don't know your New Year's. And really, the last couple of days, and it's okay. It's okay. I'm telling myself it's okay. I mean, really, the last couple of days, it's like January 5th. Woo, I'm getting there. But the last couple of days, I have opened my phone when I'm in line somewhere or I'm just like, you know, having a few moments of downtime. I open my phone so mindlessly, I just blink, 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 you know, flip over to where my Instagram app used to be. And it's not there. And I'm like, what am I doing? I didn't even realize that I had such an issue to just fill my time with Instagram. So, I mean, social media can be positive, but it can also have some major downsides. So I am off of Instagram for January, and that is the way that God is inviting me, one of the ways he's inviting me to respond to this so that I can be more present and so that I can offer myself even more fully as a living sacrifice, not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And that's, all of, that's the invitation for all of us today for us to have the incredible view of God's mercy in front of us, to choose to be all in so that we can really become the people that he intends for us to be.